This is episode 674 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's episode, Foraging for Survival with Mark Merriweather Vorderbruggen. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper Website, so you know you can trust it. Other benefits include members-only videos, periodic webinars, and online meetups. This is a great value for $20 a year. For more information, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. I want to give a couple of shouts out here to Jessa123, who left a review on Apple Podcasts. She says, thank you for doing this podcast. I looked all over for the information you provide in one place. This has helped me get more prepared and feel peaceful and secure for the future. Well, Jessa, thanks so much. I'm glad that you found the the podcast and also Prepper Website useful. So thanks so much for leaving a review that greatly is a blessing to me. And it helps other people when they come and they stumble on Prepper Website, uh, the Prepper Website podcast. And guys, there's other, I don't know what's going on. So like Apple is showing me that there's some uh, more reviews there, but I'm not seeing them on uh, on iTunes. It's not showing up on Apple Podcasts, I guess. I guess iTunes changed its name, but I see it on the back end of my uh, podcast host. So I don't understand what's going on. Maybe, maybe it's done on purpose. I don't know. Uh, maybe they're just behind. But it, thank you so much for leaving those reviews. I greatly appreciate it. And just I want you to know that I do see them. Hey, I want to give another shout out to my friends uh, in other countries. And so I've noticed that uh, the podcast has started to get popular in Slovenia, Croatia, and Luxembourg. So I want to just give you guys a shout out and thank you so much for listening. And I know that there's other listeners all over the world. And I just those have come up because... I started ranking over there and uh, that's, that's uh, you know, I get on alert when that happens. And so greatly appreciate that. All right. So let's go ahead and move into our episode uh, today. This one is going to be a really great treat. Uh, I have talked a little bit about Mark before in the past. Um, he is a, a foraging expert, foraging pro here in the Houston area. And um, I've linked to his website foragingtexas.com uh, for, a, for a while. And I, I tell the story about um, the first time that I just became aware of him. So I talk about that in the episode, so I'm not going to rehash that here. But uh, it was a great episode, a lot of information. I mean, there is a lot of information packed in here. And Mark did something that was really cool. Like after the interview, he sent me a bunch of links to some of the things that we talked about. So in some of these things that uh, some of these questions and the answers, he sent me information where you can dig deeper. And so that's going to be found in the show notes. So make sure that you go. And uh, if there's something that he says that interests you, that you go check that out or go over to the prepper website podcast.com 
and click on episode 674 and you will get these links man there's just a lot of great information and so uh, mark is doing a great job out there i know that you are going to enjoy this episode so let's go ahead and dive in to this episode foraging for survival with mark merriweather vorderbruggen hey mark welcome to the prepper website podcast oh it's a pleasure to be here i always enjoyed talking to you <laughs> hey it's been uh it's been a long time uh, years ago i always tell the story that I was doing a wedding at the Houston Arboretum, and um, I was fairly new into preparedness. I had the website, had that going on, and I knew that I wanted to up my foraging game. And uh, here I am. I'm about to do this wedding, and I'm supposed to be paying attention to the uh, to the bride and the groom. And I see you, and and you have the whole class big old banner that says Foraging Texas. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And so it was so cool to be able to, I took some pictures uh, back then. I think I had a Blackberry, <laughs> took some pictures of your, uh, of your banner and the website and uh, just so excited to get back home and, and, and check it out and eventually take a class with you. So uh, man, this is, this is a, a real treat to be able to do this. So uh, for the listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started in foraging. Wow. Okay. So really, uh, I like to describe myself as a scientist that was raised by wolves. I grew up in a small farming community up in uh, central Minnesota, and both my mom and dad, still alive, both in their 80s, uh, were huge into the outdoors. And so every day we were out there exploring the woods around the town and the fields. And so it was just what our family did was spend time in the woods, exploring, learning the plants, my mom would talk about, oh yeah, mom, you know, her mom or her grandma, if she had a toothache, she would use this plant or if she had a, you know, a blister, that plant, things like that. So it was just one of these things that I grew up doing. I assumed everyone knew it. And uh, when I finally moved to Texas, that was back in 97, uh, there wasn't a whole lot online about camping and outdoors stuff. So I set up my own website devoted to where to go camping, where to go kayaking, things like that in Texas. But the posts that really got people interested were whenever I talked about the edible or medicinal plants I was finding to the point where people started contacting me and saying, hey, we're going camping next weekend. Would you come with us and teach us about these plants? And eventually I figured out, wait a minute, I could charge for this. <laughs> and the rest is history. Man, that's, that's great. I got to ask you, you know, everywhere I, I find your name, Meriwether is, is, is tagged onto it. Where, where is that from? So that most people in the hiking community, long range hiking and so forth, they, they get a trail name. And my trail name was given to me by my buddies because wherever I was going, I was writing down the plants I was seeing because I was fascinated by them. And so write, you know, writing them down, trying to identify them. And so they just started calling me Merriweather as a joke because, you know, Lewis and Clark, Merriweather, uh, his job was to record the plants. And so they just thought that was funny. So when I started up the whole foraging Texas, I could go Vorderbruggen or Merriweather. And it's like, well, <laughs> sorry, Dad, but I'm going to go with Merriweather. So that, that I'd already been known like that. That makes a lot of sense. And it's a cool name. I mean, people, I'm sure people call you that other than Mark, right? I mean, that's yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's funny, though, if you look at the way I spelled it, uh, Vorderbruggen has an unusual number of R's in it. And so I threw extra R's in the Merriweather. So if you search under the correct spelling, you don't find me. So I kind of I shot myself in the foot there. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'll make sure I get it right when, uh, when we link to you and uh, we put you up on, uh, on, the, on the podcast and everything. All right. So moving on, I want to ask you this question because in the preparedness community, we often hear about foraging for survival. And then I, I want to ask you, you're from someone who really knows what they're doing. How realistic is it to think that you can survive by foraging in the wild? Very unlikely. Very, very, very difficult. Uh, the one exception to this is if you happen to be in a pine forest. The issue is calories. With uh, wild edible plants, it's easy to get vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and medicinal compounds and all those sort of things. The difficult part is a consistent form of calories where you find those are in the nuts, the seeds, and the tubers of different plants, which are very seasonal. The one, pretty much the one plant that's out there that can supply calories are the pine trees because the inner bark of the pine tree has between 500 and 600 calories per pound. So to get the three to 4,000 calories you need <laughs> from the pine tree, you're still eating several pounds of pine bark or the inner layer, the cambium layer of the pine tree, which in itself is hard to do, especially if you're not ready for it. That's why animals trapping, hunting is such a vital part of living off in the wild just to get the calories. Okay. Well, and, and that's good to know, right? Because I think a lot of people think, hey, we're, I'm going to go out and forage out into the woods and I, I've got a book, uh, you know, a, a really cool book and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to live off the land and do that kind of stuff. And it's just very, a very romantic view of, of uh, survival out there. And I think, I think after a while with some common sense, people are realizing, no, that's not, that's not the case, but it's always good to hear, hear that from an expert. And then the fact of being able to, uh, you know, if you were uh, being in a pine forest would mean so much more of a difference yeah. on that. And a lot of the TV shows kind of blip over that, especially the fictional ones. Uh, but even like Les Stroud, Survivor Man, if I can throw his name out there, uh, you know, he'd show on his things, oh, I have a handful of berries. This is my food for the day. And people kind of think, oh, that's all the food I need. It's like, no, he, he loses on average about 15 pounds per week doing his shows and he goes back and loads up on cheeseburgers and things like that. Very, very well said on that one. Um, let me ask you this. So uh, one problem that I've noticed in a lot of the foraging books, um, because that was one of the things that I went, and I got to tell you, your, your book is great. Um, I, I wound up uh, picking it up and I found out you were doing a book. I picked it up right away uh, off of uh, Amazon and uh, it's a really great book. A lot of pictures. I love what you did there. But one of the problems that I found with a lot of the other books out there is that they don't, they do have pictures, but they're not specific to the certain seasons of the year. So it doesn't seem like there's enough information to truly feel confident that you're, that you're eating the right thing, man, you know? And so that's one of those things that uh, if you don't catch it just right, you know, this, they show you a picture but it's taken in the summertime or in the spring or whatever. And then, you know, it doesn't necessarily look like that all year long, you know? So what do you, what can you help us there as far as uh, maybe some good books to, uh, to look at or, or, or why is that such a big deal here? How do we, how do we look at something, uh, a plant that we're, that we're, that we want to learn, but then 
we have all the different seasons that we've got to try to figure out, you know, what it truly looks like at that time. All right. I'm, I'm going to reverse this on you for a second. I'm going to ask you a question. When do you harvest the eggplant? I, I got to be honest with you. I don't like eggplant, so I don't <laughs> harvest it. Okay. Well, the question is when it's ripe. <laughs> okay. So then that leads to the next question is when is it ripe? Well, where are you located? The big issue is even just the United States is big enough that it makes it very hard to say summertime, north and south is when you find the plant. So one of the things that I quickly figured out when I moved from Minnesota down to Texas is a lot of the summertime weeds in Texas, or sorry, a lot of the summertime weeds in Minnesota are wintertime weeds in Texas. Things like wild violet and dandelions and cleavers and all these things that would normally appear, appear in June up north uh, appear in you know, December down in Texas. So that was a problem with a lot of the foraging books is they say, okay, in summer you look for this because the person didn't realize, wait, you know, I've only been in this little stretch of, of, of lati longitude, latitude, <laughs> latitude, and just not making that mental leap that if I go, you know, 200, 300, 400 miles down, uh, suddenly things have shifted. So yeah, it does make it very difficult. There are two approaches. Uh, in Sam Thayer, uh, he has three books out that are absolutely fantastic. And in particular, the DVD video he created, um, he actually does show the plants at different times in the plant's life. So you can learn to recognize it when it's young, when it's medium age, when you're supposed to harvest it. And even, he, I love it because he put even, you know, when it's dried and dead, you know, if there's some identifying characteristics. So, you know, the, the whole life of the thing. Uh, then in the Idiot's Guide Foraging, I put in a plant calendar that says, okay, if you are in the South, these are the months you look for it for each plant. So these are the months. And then if you're in the middle part of the country, you know, look for it during this time. And if you're North or up in Canada, look for this time. So that way you kind of know Okay, it's spring, well, what are we, winter? Winter. <laughs> I, I still get confused. Uh, yeah. Uh, so looking at the calendar in the Idiot's Guide, all right, I'm in the south, so these are the plants I should be looking for. Flip to the page. Oh, okay, that's what it looks like, sort of thing. So, yeah, you, you either have to memorize the plants through their entire life cycle, sent there, or cheat and just go, okay, what's going to be available in my area? And my book. <laughs> so those are the, the two basic ways of doing it. But yeah, you're right. A lot of the other foraging books out there, they kind of just forgot about that very vital piece of information. When, when you did your book, and I, again, I got a props to your book. I mean, you did a real good job there. Um, when, when you did that, did you focus on an area of the, the United States or is it across the United States. Yeah, so the publisher wanted it to, excuse me, <coughs> the publisher wanted it to be appropriate for all across North America. So I had to focus on plants that could be found all across North America. That being said, they gave me three months to write the book and there was no travel expenses or anything like that. That would all come out of my pocket. So I focused on plants that are available in Texas, but also 
know, everywhere else in North America. Uh, plants don't really obey geographic boundaries. They obey uh, ecosystem type boundaries. And so it's just a matter of finding, you know, plants where there's the same ecosystem across uh, North America. And one big one is your basic suburban yard and neighborhood. You know, what are the weeds that you're going to find in Texas? You're going to find in New Jersey. You're going to find in Juneau or Fairbanks, Alaska, Minnesota, things like that. So, yeah, all across North America. <laughs> With that said, let me ask you a question. Um, there's so many yards that for, for many years now, I've, you know, I, I've stopped using Roundup. I've stopped using chemicals and things like that in my own yard, but uh, not everybody does that. So is there um, just a good frame of reference that you would suggest to people when you're looking for, um, when you're looking for, you know, weed, quote unquote, weeds or you know, sure. edibles out there um, to determine, you know, are they safe to eat or not? Yeah. So there's an excellent tool to help you with that. It's called a doorbell. <laughs> you ring the doorbell, say, hi, I'm not crazy. I saw, you know, hold up the book. And I saw this plant in your yard. Um, can I pick it? And is there anything I should know about what might have been sprayed on your yard? Uh, eventually, you get the reputation in the neighborhood that, you know, people expect you at some point to knock on their door. Uh, it's not a bad thing. As long as you can look, you know, somewhat sane. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, the Mohawk either helps or doesn't help. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, talking to your neighbors, talking to the landowners, uh, especially if you have a source and say, you know, to show why you are interested. Uh, one thing I found is lots and lots and lots of people are really excited to learn what edible plants they have on their property. And so if even you can just recommend a book and show them one plant in that book that they have in their yard, it uh, makes them really excited too. So. All right. That makes, that makes sense, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you kind of have to swallow your, 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 your fear and you know, everything and, and talk to people. If, 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 if you don't want to do that, you know, just kind of observe their yards, you know, when they're mowing the lawn, if they're putting anything down, you know, and try and catch that way. Well, and they have an extremely beautiful lawn. Maybe not the best people to ask actually. <laughs> That's that's true. I, I was thinking also along the lines is I remember uh, reading an article years ago about finding wild edibles on the side of the road and being careful not to eat or being careful about eating those because there's going to be the oil from the cars and the runoff and all that kind of stuff from, from cars and stuff like that. And so that's kind of chemicals in the yard and, and you know, on the, on the side of the road, it just kind of just sticks in my head there as far as being careful not to eat, uh, you know, the other stuff that gets attached to the wild edibles. Yeah. The big ones in the yards are the pesticides, the ant killers, the, you know, the grub killers, those sort of things, because those are really toxic to humans too. Along the roads, what I recommend is find, you know, backwoods country roads where there isn't a lot of traffic. Um, there's been some really interesting studies in the city of Boston and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where they've actually looked, they figure in these urban environments, lots of traffic, let's look at, you know, how contaminated are the weeds, you know, the wild edible weeds. And they found them to be pretty much empty, like no contamination. They said, really, if you want, there doesn't seem to be any reason why you can't, you know, eat the stuff you're finding 
in these cities, even with the traffic and so forth there, they're still not contaminated. It's, it's, it's one of those myths that has expanded over time. Um, you know, the industrial pollution. Now, I'm in Houston. If I were down in the Ship Channel or Baytown area, there I'd be a little concerned. But up in spring where I'm at, hell no, I'm good. As long as there hasn't been any fire ant killer or something like that put down. Oh, yeah, let's go. Let's eat. Yeah, so, and, and for those that aren't uh, familiar, Mark's talking about our our, uh, our port where there's so many ships. And, and I, I got to tell you, I used to work down there, and I can tell you, I would see people fishing off the piers and I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Do you know what's in that water? Yeah. You do not, do not do that. So yeah, um, that's um, kind of scary there. All right. So moving on, let's say someone gets the bug, man. And, and they're like, I, I want to look into this forging. How does someone get started with this? Okay. I'm going to put myself out of work here, but that's okay. The, the trick is start at your doorstep, start in your yard, look around, and see what trees you have. Identifying trees is probably the, one of the easier plants to identify. So you want to identify the plants that are right around you. So start with the trees, figure out what trees you have, look up, Google them, say elm tree edible, elm tree medicinal on Google and see what it comes up. And hopefully Forge in Texas comes up and tells you all about it. Uh, but yeah, start with the trees, then go to the bushes, the landscaping bushes. Again, a lot of the landscaping plants have either edible or medicinal uses. Um, and usually there are other resources, you know, either you planted the, the, the bush yourself, so you know what it's there, or you can go to a nursery and go, oh, there's my bush. It is an Eliagnus. Okay, back to Google. Google, Eliagnus, edible, medicinal. What do I see? Bring up the things there. You do that, you look at the vines, you look at the flowers, and then you look at the weeds. So in order of difficulty, like I said, you start in your yard, your doorstep, identify the trees, then the bushes, then the vines, then the flowers, and then the weeds. And by the time you get down to the weeds, you'll have a lot of the skills you need, a lot of the terminology, and a lot of just the knowledge of how to identify the weeds, what structures of the, the weeds you need to look at to identify them. People ask, are there any you know, apps out there where you can take the picture of the plant and it tells you what it is? And lots of apps will say they can do that. Very few can actually do that. Plants don't have a face the way humans have a face. So you know, there's all sorts of different angles. You mentioned times of years and all this sort of thing. So app technology, by the time it gets to that point, we will all be slaves of the you know, artificial intelligence, so it won't matter. Uh, so, yeah, don't, don't trust the apps. Um, trust key guides, the Peterson's guides to, you know, wildflowers and Peterson's guide to trees and all this sort of thing. Really good sources of just figuring out what this plant around you is. So, so just start with what's around you. Identify the plants you can actually see. Because I will tell you, if you go out on the mission into the woods looking, you know, with your you know, Peterson's guide or Idiot's Guide Forge and say, okay, I want to find wild violets. And you look around, there's just a sea of green. And you, uh, I find a lot of people can't even tell, you know, the, you know, where one plant ends and the next starts. And it's, it's a nightmare. You, you, you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to, you know, find the plant first, identify the plant, and then see if it's edible. So it's kind of reversed to what most people do. Okay, great. So when we're doing that, what are some important things to remember um, I, I remember you talking about a lot of different things when I took your class, but um, for the amateur forager, what, what do we need to remember? Okay. So 
there, let, let me ask you to clarify this question. Uh, so in general, like I have the four things a forger needs to respect, uh, but I wonder if you're asking more about like what structural features on the plant do you focus on to identify the plant? So are we talking plant identification or overall big picture? Um, overall big picture is what I had in mind, but that okay. other I, that other question would have been a good one too. So feel free, <laughs> feel free to talk about that one too. Okay. So the key one that I is realize I should should ask, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. To answer the what do you need to know about identification? So with plants, you want to match at least five structural features of the plant you're looking at to the guide you're using to identify it. For mushrooms, it's more like eight to 10 structural features because mushrooms have a whole nother risk factor that go above and beyond plants. So people go, okay, five structural features on plants. So some of these may be how the leaves are arranged on the branch. So are they directly opposite each other? Do they zigzag? Do they form a circle around the stem? So are they opposite? Are they alternating? The different botanical terms, how are the leaves arranged on the plant? That's a structure. You know, is it a tree? Is it a bush? Is it a vine? You know, that's a structure. The leaf itself, is it deeply lobed? Is it smooth? Does it have tiny sterations? So the edge of the leaf is a structure you need to match. The veins in the leaf. So, you know, people, you know, once I start, you know, taking my classes, I show, you know, so this is a pinnate vein structure and this is a, a palmate. They go, wow, I never realized there were two different types. So a pinnate is where you have, I guess it was this end of pinnate, just a, a single center vein. And then all the other veins come off at think like a Christmas tree. A palmate is where you have multiple veins coming off from the base of the leaf and then other veins coming off it. And then parallel is like grass. So the vein pattern is important. Uh, is it a simple leaf or is it a compound leaf? And that goes back to the biology. Uh, then looking at the flowers, uh, yeah. how are the flowers arranged? Are they at the end of the branch? Are they stuck along the branch? Are they at the you know, junctions? Uh, the color of the petals, the number of the petals, the shape of the petals. There's lots and lots and lots of different structural features. Because there are so many structural features, one thing, so a lot of us foraging instructors, we talk behind the, 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 the scenes and, you know, discuss our books and so forth. And so a lot of things we've realized that, okay, let's make it easy on people. What are the easiest things to see? So first, you know, what type of plant is it? Is it a tree, a bush, a vine, you know, weed? Uh, the leaves. Okay, people can usually see if the leaves are directly across from each other or alternating. So we include, you know, is it an alternating, opposite, opposite, opposed, the, you know, the, the leaf attachment, the edge of the leaf, the vein pattern, and then the flower. So we've all kind of agreed, you know, let's try and give the same sort of structural features uh, so people have an easier time of it. You know, they, they, in the end, they don't have to look at every single aspect of, you know, the botanists, they'll go down and look at the millimeters of distance between the barks, you know, things and stuff like, okay, you don't have to go that deep. So we're, you know, let's make it simple for the reader. What are the main structural features? Match five. If there's something that's totally wrong, it's not the plant, but yeah, match five. It's like the, isn't there a, like a lottery thing, match five and win sort of thing. So match five. So that, that's okay, good that was, stuff, man. That was real good. Real good. 
Well, what about what about the four you, you were talking about? The okay, four yeah. So especially uh, as a forger, I, I always start my class with this. The four things you need to respect. You need to respect the law. You need to respect the land. You need to respect the plant. And you need to respect yourself. And so respect the law. You need to know the foraging laws of your state. The foraging laws are usually written at a state level and sometimes even like a county level. So you need to know, you know where you can and can't forage. Respect the law. Respect the land. Leave no trace. It's as simple as that. You know, there should be no sign that you were there when you're done. Pick up your litter. Pick up other people's litter. You know, make the world a better place. Respect the plant uh, means you want to harvest in a sustainable manner. You want to do it uh, the right amount of plants. Like on Foraging Texas, each plant has an abundance code. Is it invasive, plentiful, common, uncommon, rare, endangered? And that tells you how much of the plant you can take. Uh, but also when you're taking it, you want to make sure you always have a nice sharp knife or something like that. You don't just want to tear something off the plant, leave a wound in there that can get fungus and kill the plant. You want to make sure the plants are here year after year after year. Respect the plant. And the fourth one, respect yourself. Don't eat anything poisonous. And we've already covered that in two ways. One, you want to make sure the plant is properly identified. So match five. And two, you also want to make sure the plant is growing in a safe ecosystem or a safe environment. And even that is proven to be pretty common. I mean, that the, the, unless you're actually actively putting pesticides down or mercury, uh, things like that can be a problem. But for the most part, yeah. Good. Good stuff, man. Really good stuff. All right. I got to ask you this one. Because when someone starts doing something out there like foraging and they're completely on their own, like if you were there with them, completely feel confident, yeah, you know, Mark's not going to let me die. But when you're out there on your own. A lot of paperwork when a student dies. Yeah. <laughs> but, when, but when you're out there on your own and you're, and you're starting, you're very, you know, you're starting amateur forager here, you know, and you find that one and you think it's the right one and, and you've done everything that you've kind of mentioned here. How can we be confident, you know, that, that before we put it in our mouth to eat or to use, that, uh, that it is, you know, something that we're, we're not going to die. Um, you've always heard the thing where you, let me see, let me ask you this. Is it a myth where you take the, the, the plant, the leaves, whatever you rub it, you know, in your oh, stop there. Yeah. Don't even continue. <laughs> yeah. The universal edibility test is the stupidest bit of survival information you're ever going to hear. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So don't, 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 don't. I'm so glad uh, I asked you that. Man. <laughs> yeah. We're saving yeah, lives I, 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 <laughs> yeah. So it boils down again to how, how good you are at attention to details. And that's why it's really good to start with the plants that are right there outside your front door, the trees. You can, you can you know, dig down as deep as you want. There's all sorts of tree identification stuff out there, books and websites and nurseries and, you know, email, you know, and things like that, where you can convince myself, okay, this is an oak tree. I'm good to go. Or this is a maple tree. So you build up the confidence in steps. And at some point you just go, you know what? Well, there's two ways of approaching either, you know, fortune favors the bold or I know my stuff. I've, I've gone through, I've compared it not just to one book, but I've compared it to five books you know, and three websites. And yes, this is a dandelion, you know, and, and you have at it. Um, 
I mean, it boils down to putting in the work, right? It's, it's not one of those things that you can just go to Amazon and buy a yeah. piece of gear and you're, you're done, right? You got to put in a little bit of work to know what you're doing here. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, like different times of the year. Uh, one of the issues also, especially when the plants are young, there not, may not be enough structural details to differentiate it you know, from other similar plants. And so you have to let it grow. You have to let it grow until there are things. But then eventually, you know, you'll start being able to recognize sow thistle at every stage of its growth because you've followed it. You know, you've, you've found one, you put a fence around it, you said, you know, you know do not touch or whatever, and, and you've just let it grow. Or you've gotten the seeds and you've grown the plant. So, you, you know, eventually, you, it, it really, it, it's like something clicks and suddenly people go, whoa, I got this. I've, I've studied these enough. I've looked at them enough. The, the main thing is to not get cocky in the beginning. Um, there's a thing, it's not really a name for it, but there, people will convince themselves they found what they are looking for. Even if there are structural features that don't match or completely wrong, you know, there'll, there'll be two structural features the other seven that I can see are wrong, but you know, those two. And a big one is the difference between elderberries and pokeweed. And elderberry, wonderful medicinal plant. Pokeweed, eh, you know, can be deadly. So, and they both have purple berries, but everything else about the plant is different. But so often I get people, hey, I found, you know, elderberry. Is this elderberry? It's like, no. <laughs> you, you just looked at the color of the berries, didn't you? You didn't match the leaf or the, you know, the, the pokeweed, they grow, the berries grow in a ring down a stem, whereas the elderberries grow in like a big head of cauliflower sort of shape. You know, they're completely different. The leaves are, the bark, everything is completely different. I'm sorry, I'm ranting now. <laughs> No, that, that's, but, yeah. that's a good point, man. Uh, it's a, a real good point. Match the five, no. seven. You know, in fact, in the beginning, match 10. You know, get, you know, just figure, match every bit and, you know, build up that confidence. It's like driving a car. You know, at first you're afraid to drive. The, my, you know, I get one kid has been driving for two years now. The other is just starting. And yeah, at the beginning, it's like, you know. And now it's like, ah. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. You, yeah, you, yeah. you got to yeah. put in the work. I mean, anything worth doing yeah. right, worth knowing, you got to put in the work. And that's what it sounds like when it, when it comes to foraging. Um, can we talk a little bit about some, or, uh, some, some common plants, some weeds out there that would be found almost anywhere? I mean, you kind of mentioned that a little bit, that that's what you were looking sure. at did your, your book. Okay. So um, we can just kind of put it in everybody's, I mean, we have people listening from all over the world, but especially here in the United States, what are some common ones that we can okay. kind of look for? A really excellent one, very distinctive, found all across North America are wild violets. And we can put a link up to the foraging Texas, but it has a very distinctive kind of heart-shaped deltoid or like a spade shape leaf and the traditional violet flower grows in wooded areas. It grows in Texas. I found them in Mexico. I found them in Minnesota. I found them in New York. I found them in California. I found them up in Alaska, found them in Alberta, Canada, Calgary, um, things like that. So wild violets loaded with vitamin A, loaded with vitamin C. You can eat them raw. Uh, they're tasty. They're a good, uh, like a, just a salad green. They also have a small amount of mucilage in them. 
So they're not slimy like okra, for those of you who know okra, uh, but they work good as a thickening agent, you know, in stews and things like that. So they're multi-purpose. So really good one. Another one I really recommend to look around for is prickly pear cactus. And a lot of people think, well, a cactus, that's only going to be like out in the Southwest. Well, actually, there are prickly pear cactuses pretty much in every state in North America. Uh, if you read the Lewis and Clark journals, uh, one of their big complaints, even up in the mountains, you know, going through Montana and so forth, was the prickly pear cactus uh, spines going through their moccasins. That was one of the things that just drove them nuts. The entire expedition was all the prickly pear cactus they were stepping on. So, and it's, again, it's a very distinctive, very easy to identify plant. Another good one that's found all across North America is the aquatic plant wapato, also known as duck potato. Uh, good starch-filled tubers. You can use them like potatoes. The tubers uh, turn ripe in the fall. So when you see the green tops starting to die, the, uh, that's when you harvest the tubers. Uh, but the young greens in the spring are a good cooked pot herb too. Now, with wapatu, this is, where you, this is one where you actually have to start uh, testing your matching skills. So there's a wapatu, and it has a palmate vein structure. There's also the toxic arum, which has a pinnate. And the way to look at it, okay, you know Spider-Man, the spider emblem on his chest. Hopefully we're not breaking any copyright rules here. But the true wapato, it looks like Spider-Man's emblem on the leaf. So it has, you know, the, the you know, palmate, it has the different veins going out, except in his case, you know, there, there's some going down too. Whereas the toxic one, it has one center vein and then all the other veins come off it like a Christmas tree. But wapato, really good plant found all across North America. And then the last one, cattails really good. Pretty much every season, there is some edible part of the cattail. And even when the, you know, the pond is frozen over, if you have a way of busting through the ice and digging down into the muck, you can still get the big thick rhizomes that when roasted taste like graham crackers. So, you know, graham crackers and thread, you kind of suck this, you know, the, the graham crackerness out of the wad of fiber and then spit out the fiber, but it's a great source of calories, which, you know, from the very beginning, calories were difficult, but there's cattails everywhere and pretty straightforward to identify. Great. Thank you for that. That's, that's good. So what are some, some resources then that uh, someone who decide, desires to learn more that they should be looking at? I mean, of, of course, I'm going to talk about your book. And uh, even, even if you wouldn't promote it, I would promote it yeah. because I think it's such a great deal. But what are some other ones? Okay. So let me, let me say one thing about the book, The Idiot's Guide Foraging. Uh, the way that series works is they find an idiot to write a book. I don't get any royalties from it. I got a one-time payment for it. So, but I still, it, it, my ego gets bigger when you buy it. So still buy it, you know, but I don't get anything financially from it anymore. Um, websites. Of course, www.foragingtexas.com. Even though it has the word Texas in the title, uh, most of these plants are found all across North America. In fact, you can search on the right-hand side, I guess, 
well, anyway, right hand side, the uh, you know there's like all of United States, central United States. You know there are different zones. And then each individual plant has a map where it shows which counties in Texas the plant is found, but also what state and Canadian provinces in North America are the plants found. So you can kind of just skim through, bookmark the ones that are found in your state, and then dig deeper there. Or province, you know, if you're up in, hello, Canada. Uh, so foraging Texas. <laughs> the uh, Dean Green, he's located in Florida, but he is probably the premier YouTube forager with his Eat the Weeds uh, series of videos. And I don't know how many hundred plants he goes through there. They're short videos. They're you know eight minutes long maybe. And he shows the plant. He shows you the structural features you need to look at, to you know, find on the plant, to identify it, uh, how to use it, things like that. Very, very meticulous, but very quick and easy to learn. Great, great, great resource. Uh, it is Guide Foraging, of course, and then Sam Thayer's books, and then also my YouTube channel, uh, YouTube slash user slash Dr. Merriweather. Uh, I have literally over 100 hours of plant videos on there. So, but my videos tend to be on the long side because I'll cover, you know, I'll, I'll talk for an hour on four different plants and you know, go in depth on them. So, sounds good. All right. Well, where can listeners of the podcast, where can they connect with you? Okay. So the, the center of my foraging empire is the foragingtexas.com website. And from there, there are also links to my social media pages. So on Facebook, it's just facebook.com foragingtexas. And there I try and post pretty much every day or every weekday uh, some plant I found recently or interesting plant science, medicinal uses of plants. Uh, so there's that. And then on Thursday evenings uh, on the Facebook and on my YouTube, I do Merryweather's World, which is an in-depth dive into something. My goal is to reconnect people to their planet. And so I'll have some interesting, I think it's interesting, uh, talk for an hour about something. You know, it could be, you know, the medicinal uses of dandelions. It could be uh, talking to the top elephant trainer in North America. It could be following a grain of sand from the riverbank you know, by my house all the way back to the Big Bang, uh, things like that. So uh, I don't know when this is being uh, broadcast, but uh, January 7th, 2021, I will be talking to one of the scientists that uh, is growing plants in space for NASA. So that'll be cool. So I guess we're off the planet there. Um, and then also on the medicinal plant side, uh, the company Medicine Man Plant Co., where I use ancient plants for modern issues, uh, frankly, the best ones out there, in my opinion. The Facebook there is Medicine Man Plant Co., and the website is www.medicinemanplantco.com. Uh, if you want to help me earn money, that's where you would go. <laughs> but it's you know, letting me help you, which helps me. Awesome. Well, and then you're, you're also doing classes, right? I mean, I know you do classes here in the Houston area, but you also do classes in other parts of Texas. Yeah. So uh, also on the Foraging Texas website, there's a list of upcoming classes. Uh, I work with a lot of different organizations across Texas, uh, different state parks, historic sites, 
museums, uh, and they host me, botanical gardens, they host me to come in and give plant walkabouts. Uh, unfortunately, due to the coronavirus issues in Houston, all the Houston ones have pretty much been closed, um, except for ones at Jesse H. Jones Park, uh, but like the Houston Arboretum where you saw me. But yeah, all over Texas, I teach in you know in San Antonio, Dallas, Austin, East Texas, uh, trying to set some things up way out in West Texas, things like that. So yeah. Uh, and that's really if to kind of get over that initial fear, it's good to take a class with someone. And, you know, there's lots of instructors out there. Um, even in Texas, I've noticed, you know, people take my class two, three times and suddenly, hey, they're a wild edibles expert. Some of them are good. Some of them, yeah, let's, yeah, take a few more classes. <laughs> but, you know, search around, you know. If, uh, in fact, on my website, there's the link, uh, Green Dean from Eat the Weeds. Uh, he has a link for pretty much all the foraging instructors across North America and their websites and how to contact them and see when they're teaching, things like that. Okay. Pretty much everywhere nowadays there's a foraging instructor. and you know, take, you know, It's hard to find them, though, sometimes because you just, you know, you're, you're looking for them, but you got to know where to look. Yeah. Well, Facebook is making that easier. Right and, you know, the, the list, like the Green Dean is probably the place to start for now we can throw you a link to his list of instructors. Sounds good. All right. I, I got one question. I, I try to end every interview with this question. Um, what is one question that you always wish someone would ask you, but you've never been asked? Hey, Mark, would you like $5 million in $100 bills or $20 bills? <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of money in foraging. <laughs> Free food, you know, as long as you, you know. Don't mind you know, being dearth of calories, but yeah. Uh, now the other thing is, hmm, that's that's a tough one. Who should I teach? And I think that would, you know, take the little knowledge you have and be sure to share it. That's that's because we're not designed to hoard stuff, whether it be goods or money or knowledge, take what you have and share it. So, you know, find someone. So yeah, the question is who should I share it with? Share it to people who trust you, who you're close to, who you love, you know, do that. That's good. That was a hard question. It caught me even. <laughs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. I got to ask you, your kids, have they, have they caught on to your love of foraging? So the older, we joke, we have two kids. One is my, da my daughter and the other is my wife's daughter. So my daughter, yeah, she was out there with me exploring, you know, going for walks every night, looking at plants, picking up all this stuff. And then the other daughter is like, I don't want to be seen with you. You're really embarrassing. <laughs> please, please don't eat that in front of my friends. <laughs> so, oh, man. so be it. All right. Well, and, and that's it. Every kid has a different personality, you know? Yep. So that's completely, that's uh, completely uh, on point there. Mark, Hey, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to come on to the Prepper website podcast and sharing uh, your expert advice here. Um, Always a pleasure. I'm going to share, I'm going to share all the links that you have for us and uh, uh, just encourage everyone to go check out your, your materials and, uh, support you if they're looking for more foraging information. So thank you. Cool. Thank you.
All right. Thanks again, Mark. And didn't I tell you that this was going to be a great interview, a lot of great information. Hey, don't forget, like I mentioned, all those links and the the, the answers that Mark gave. And uh, he gave a lot more information and links uh, that are in the show notes and over at uh, the website. So make sure you go check those out and uh, support Mark if you can. Um, he uh, He's doing a great job over there and it doesn't always get a lot of recognition. And that's the case for a lot of people in the preparedness community. Uh, really, we're doing it because we, we love it and we want to help people get uh, educated and understand preparedness a little bit better. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 674. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app or head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to prepperwebsite.com, where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best self-reliant articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 hand-picked preparedness articles that you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets. Stay prepped and aware. Peace.